Blog Talk Radio. Washington, D.C. Um, she is associate professor in the biology program, um, and she, uh, which is also part of the Division of Science and Mathematics, um, which is, of course, also part of the College of Arts and Sciences. So Dr. Sneed um, has quite the background in between becoming associate professor, um, how, you know, how she... Uh, ended up here, and the moment that she finished her bachelor's degree at BBC, you see, Dr. Sneed is also an alum of UDC, just like me. We both know what it's like to be students here, not just faculty. So we have a lot to talk about today. Um, and she's got some pretty pretty hot projects on um, Planarian regeneration, um, and of course, talking about cannabinoids on regeneration, gene expression, cellular proliferation, um, and so I'm not going to even try to pronounce some of some of the terminology. Generation in the life cycle of species of, in, in these in these species, and so somehow I think this has something to do with we but I don't know. But first and foremost, let's hear from you. First and foremost, um, what was it like for you as a student? What was it like for you growing up in D.C.? 
And how did you get into back here? Because you've been in some pretty hot, really happening scientific labs. You've done some very important work. So let's hear it. Um, and then, of course, let's talk about your theme for today, and that is where and how science and the arts meet. That's the kind of stuff I like to talk about. All right. Okay. So let's, let's yeah. So, um, so first and foremost, could you tell us how did you end up in biology? That's an unusual field um, for for women, and it's a field that more women need to get into. So how did you get into it? Well, I've always had this great um, interest in science. Oh, before I forget, thank you for uh, introducing me. You don't want to forget that. But I've always liked science uh, from the beginning. And really, my first thought was really going into medicine. So it was really, uh, I guess as I was a kid, it started out being, oh, I want to be a nurse. And then I said, no, I want to be a doctor. Then I said, no, I want to be a veterinarian. So I actually did go on. Once I graduated from UDC, I went on to Tuskegee uh, University. Um, earning my doctorate in veterinary medicine. So actually, I'm a veterinarian, though I'm not a practicing veterinarian. I always tell people that because as soon as they say, you're a veterinarian, what's wrong with my pet? I said, I don't practice. I'm a researcher and teacher, okay? <laughs> so right, I don't want to give right, you right. bad advice. Okay. Uh, I steer that right, to actual right, right. <laughs> but, it's, it must uh, be well, some interesting conversations when you go to the, when you go to the, uh, when, when you go to the vet or, or if you go to a, a pet shop or something, maybe. I don't know. Oh, do you have a cat? Oh, actually, I have two cats. I have uh, two domestic oh, short hairs. Yeah. Uh, one is Chase, who quite literally followed me. Followed me. I was going to the bus stop, and there's this kitten that just won't go away. You know, I ignore him. <laughs> he still was there. And I said, okay, Chase, I'm going to take you home with me because I was so afraid he was going to get run hit by a car because this was out in the sidewalk. And I said, oh, you'll Aww. stay here for Okay. You can stay until the weekend, but he's still here. <laughs> that was like two years ago. Oh, oh, that's so sweet. I yeah, I love cats. I love cats. I love dogs and cats. I love all kinds of of of, of pets. I saw this. Uh, so I, I was in the main building. Somebody had a, a pit bull named Olive, and Olive was so sweet and came right up to me. I don't know why people don't like pit bulls. They're so sweet. Yeah, it's a reputation, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I have to have yeah, change it depends. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had yeah. Chase. Yeah. So I was working at no, working at UDC. So Chase is home by himself. I said, well, he needs to get a friend. So I adopted another Aww. cat from the French Georgia Humane Society. So that's how I have two cats. So I mean, cats really should have a buddy. If you have a kitten, just just get two kittens. They really don't take up that much more space. Right, and they're and, each other's and, company. Because otherwise they will, um, otherwise they will, uh, they will, they will hang around you, and they won't want anybody else around you. Um, and that's what mm-hmm. happened with me and my last cat. I had a cat um, for umpteen yeah. years, and she came with me. She was I, I got her in D.C. She came mm-hmm. with me up to Vermont, Connecticut. Came back with me to D.C. and she died here. Um, oh, and, my yes, it's rough losing a pet, yeah. Yeah, well, it's been some years since I've had a pet, and I might, mm-hmm. might be might be in need of one, in considering some some recent events. But let's 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 talk a little bit about you and science. Okay. 
Okay. Well, actually, I'm a native Washingtonian, and kind of growing up in D.C. was interesting. I guess I didn't think too much of it as a kid, but I did. You know, you do learn quickly that D.C. is different than Maryland and Virginia. It's a different. It's just sort of. I don't know how you describe it. It's just different. <laughs> okay. Yes, it and, is. Uh, it is, and, and, and people's moods are different. People's people how and how people deal with you are different um, in 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 the city, and it depending upon what part of the city. What part of the city did you grow up in? I actually grew up in Southeast, Albert near Out Branch Avenue, where I guess it's um, broadly speaking to quote the, the Penn Branch area. I'm not are you familiar with that area, but Pennsylvania yes, Avenue, Bosses Branch yes, Avenue. So I actually, that's a um, nice area. It's a beautiful part of the city. It actually is. Yeah, it's sort of that area. Um, so originally, Isaac uh, uh, was born into a family. My parents actually originally lived in Northeast DC near the River Terrace area. Um, okay. Because the River Terrace neighborhood still there, and that's where I went to elementary school. Even though my parents had moved to uh, Southeast, they kept me in River Terrace. And then after that, we kind of went to the local schools in that area. So for high school, I actually went to Woodson. I don't know. Do you remember Woodson uh, when it was the Tower yes, of Power? That was yep, my high school. I do remember. Uh, Woodson. Oh wow. And huh. so, sort of coming right. to UDC, I mean, I, I kept kind of kept that kept up that interest in science, and went into biology was the one I liked best. So I do like astronomy as a hobby, but not my main thing. <laughs> but um, okay. right, right. As, um, I love astronomy actually. That's really? a great. That's, oh, a, a, that's a that's a great field actually. actually oh yeah, it is yeah, great. It is, and yeah, and it's actually there are a few black astronomers out there. There's not as many as you. As I like, but they they do they they are there and there are black women um, in astronomy, but they want to get off too yes. much as this. But um, <laughs> so I had an interest again a health science interest and I kind of kept it up. Took all the biology it was a pretty much a biology major out of high school and went right into vet school down at Tuskegee University, and uh, that's where I did you know, got earned a degree in veterinary medicine. And well, it's kind of an interesting thing. This happens a lot to people that you really, you know, when you're a kid, your heart is set on one thing, and when you actually get to it, it's not quite what you thought it was. I mean, I still like the veterinary medicine aspects, but I found that I was not a really good clinician. <laughs> so that's why I went into research. I was a better researcher than a clinician. And oh, wow. actually, I tell people, if that's what you are, you know, don't kind of follow it. Don't become a clinician if that's not what you really do, because if for another reason, think of your patients, okay? <laughs> Right. So you think, right, right, and, right. And with a degree, I went to veterinary school, and then I went right into research. I went, uh, I spent a couple of years out at Los Alamos National Laboratory out in New Mexico, which is actually a beautiful place. It's very different than the East Coast because you go from the East to the West, and the yes. Southwest of the United States is, is beautiful and it's different. It is. It's um, absolutely different. Um, yes, I've been to New Mexico. I've been to. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what's their their major the um well, the major Albuquerque, city Albuquerque, Albuquerque and then yep. Santa Fe yeah and it's yeah. really yeah. I call it yeah so I was actually up in Los Alamos which is actually a mountain range north of Santa Fe that's where the National Laboratory is so that's the that's the laboratory's claim to fame is where one of the, where it's one of the places where the atomic bomb was developed and they still do atomic work out there um. Not as much as they used to, but obviously, but they still it's still a nuclear laboratory, so it's one of the 
uh, national laboratories. The United States has several. There's Sandia, there's Los Alamos, there's Oak Ridge, there's Brookhaven. These are actually like big federally funded laboratories. But it was it was, it was fun. It was very different. It's uh, I call it wide open space, and it really is wide open space. If you're used to an area with lots of green trees and stuff like that, you go to the southwest, the whole areas you really don't see that. It's just like so different. And I just, it just hit me one day as I was driving in Alabama, and there are like trees on both sides of the highway. And then trying to think about, it, then you're driving in New Mexico. It's like no trees on the highway. So this is wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But it's it, but for, it's peaceful out there. It really is. That's very. Um, it's, it's very yeah, peaceful and, it's, and it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And the food's a lot different. Like, I do remember there, one of the things when it's chili season, because that's a big thing out there, when it's, um, the people ask you, how's the chili today? Is it hot or mild? Cause the, you know, because they took their, their chili very, very seriously. Not the way we do it here. It's kind of a, you know, it was like, okay, you can get chili, but out there it's like definitely chili is the thing. <laughs> right. So if you like hot, very the remindful as to the, the heat, the heat level of the peppers mm-hmm. and, and and the other spices that uh, you know that are involved and the and the kind of meat that they use and whatnot. And so, yeah, so definitely, when, yeah. so when you're eating out there, be mindful. Make sure you ask about the heat level of the, of the uh, food because you don't want to get surprised. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't want to get surprised. So, so I spent a couple. How did you come uh, upon the, the the theme of science and the arts meeting? What 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 got you attracted to that? Well, I've actually always liked art. Enjoyed drawing as a kid. I didn't really follow it up. Every once in a while, I'd pick up a pen or a pencil and, and do a sketch or a doodle. But it was interesting because my dad was actually an, an artist. He was a full blown artist, but. Think about it, back in the 40s and 50s, you know, black men really were not hired as artists. So even though he was a great artist, and I've seen some of his artwork, he couldn't really get hired as an artist. So he actually worked for the Department of Labor as like a technician. It's just kind of a shame. Right. You think about it, you really can't follow, but he was an artist. But now, you know, people, black people do have a bit, have more flexibility. So yes, I guess people say, well, you got it from your dad. So I enjoy it, but. As I got older, what I actually found I liked better than art, I still enjoy looking at artwork and go to museums. But for me personally, I actually like written word. Um, mm-hmm. I've always liked it. And one thing I like reading a book, and I can really tell a book where the author put a lot of, into it versus somebody who's like more of a formulaic book. Because a formulaic book, like a lot of mystery books, get boring, very boring. But if I'm reading a book <laughs> where it's something really different, and really beautiful wordplay. I really like that. And I'll read that over and over again just to read the wordplay. You know, you would have been a natural at natural at at, at being an English major, perhaps, um, because that's exactly what um, attracts um, people to. Well, it's one. At least for me, it's it's one. You know, the you know language. Um, the beauty of language, um, reflecting on 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 beauty um, through mm-hmm. language, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's one of the reasons why I was attracted to Toni Morrison's work, um, and um, it's interesting. It's been a while since I 
read anything that she's written, um, you know, and so she's passed on. Sometimes what I like to do is, um, you know, I mean, I wrote my dissertation on Toni Morrison, but mm-hmm. I decided that I wanted to give myself a bit of a break. I wanted to come back to it fresh and considering some things that have kind of happened. And you know exactly what I'm talking about um, from my blog, you know, the body, the exploring, the exploring the body and, and the mind and the spirit and, and whatnot. Toni Morrison was at that. And so she captures what you just said in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one right. of the reasons why I can come back to any of her novels and find beauty and find the, um, you know, and find the human spirit um, or some right. reflection of the human spirit. Um, and when we talk about beauty, of course, we're not always talking about all of the pleasant things, even the ugliness of humanity and the ugliness of the human experience. There's beauty in that. Uh, oh, in, in that beauty. Go ahead. Uh, also, and, and, um, yeah. I mean, I said you like science fiction. It's probably one of my favorite yeah, genres. Yeah, And um, trying to find, there's not, not too many black science fiction writers, but there are, there are a few. I think it's Octavia Butler and Samuel oh, Delaney. And, you know, yeah. Samuel Delaney, he's a nephew of the Delaney sisters. And I thought that was like, wow. <laughs> yes. But if you look at his writing, right. it's like uh, amazing. So it's just sort of that kind of writing. Because you can kind of sell right. the science fiction writers, I guess the more, quote, hard science ones, you really don't put a whole lot into the, I call it the writing part. And then you have the ones that you really do. So I kind of gravitate more right. towards the ones who spend time with it. And Are you me, familiar with Neil? Well, Neil Hoskinson is somebody. If you haven't had a chance to take a look at her work yet, um, Neil Hoskinson's that she's actually on my um, on my Twitter on my Twitter feed. But Neil Hoskinson is um, is a major um, is a major player. I look at her writing, and mm-hmm. I look at Toni Morrison's writing, and I definitely. Um, I definitely see a relationship. I definitely see um, a connection in the way that she approaches language and the way mm-hmm. that she approaches African diasporic culture, African diasporic religious um, belief systems, how she mm-hmm. infuses that into her science fiction. And so right. what I like about um, science fiction written from an um, from an Afrofuturistic perspective is the fact that you have the infusion of, um, you know, the African belief systems and African um, aesthetics. Right. You have the African aesthetic, you have the African-American aesthetic um, mm-hmm. in, in, um, in Afrofuturism. And so if you combine that, of course, with science and with some uh, with the, the advances of science, um, you 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 come across some um, some innovative innovative um, fiction, uh, fictional work, whether you're talking about um, short fiction or or longer fiction. Absolutely. And so, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know what 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 are your thoughts? Because um, I've often wondered. What we could do, um, you know, in light of the fact that we are living in this 
pandemic world, and we're going to be living with some aspect of it for quite a long while. I don't think we're going to be tossing away the mask anytime soon. And I don't think we're going to be tossing away the general advice, which is follow the scientists. So what do you think we could be doing um, as, um, as thinkers um, and as, as writers? Um, you're coming from a biological perspective. I'm coming from, um, you know, an, an in, uh, a humanities perspective. What are some of the possibilities? Well, I guess from a scientific point of view, I mean, definitely I agree with you. Well, um, either this virus will be around or the next virus is out there just waiting. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's not going to go away. <laughs> and no, that's how, it things, how things happen to work. And you've got such an interconnected world. Is that at one time a virus like this would have it would have flared up in an area and it would have um, done its, its damage and that would have been it. But these days it can go everywhere. Because remember SARS, that's what happened. I was in I was uh, in Michigan at the time, and I remember when that right. one came from. And it came from I think it was Hong Kong. At least it, that was right. sort of the meeting place of Hong Kong. And from Hong Kong, it literally went global, just because of global transportation. So it's just a matter right. of sort of keeping an eye keeping an eye out for this and seeing it when it happens, and not denying it. That's a big part of this is like denial, denial. I said no. Um, viruses don't understand that because the first thing I'll tell you, viruses from a biological point of view are predators. They're very predatory and they'll take advantage of any weakness. Yes. Absolutely. Right. They don't care about your social class. They don't care about yeah. your, your, you know, your, your fashion sense. They don't care about what party you belong to. They don't care about your, you know, Viruses don't care about any of that stuff. They care about you know, <laughs> any of that. <laughs> yeah, they just care about making more viruses, and that's it. Exactly. And so, right. kind of listening to all these people right. complaining about, oh, this is interfering with my rights and so on. I'm thinking like, like this is a virus's ideal world. <laughs> I mean, virus couldn't ask for better. But okay, <laughs> but no, that's how we not, not at all. So these days, now they're telling people to wear a double mask, which is what I'm doing. Um, and yeah, so until yeah, I do I, that too. I have a double one. Yep, yep. And so, and and that to me, it it, it, it just I don't understand what, what 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 the issue was. Before they told us to start wearing masks, I was wearing masks. I had an old mask oh. sitting around here. I started throwing this sucker up like I'm not seeing. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why people got upset. Just put a mask on. I, I have, I have no idea. Uh, I have no idea. I kind of, I just kind of wonder what these people would have done during a polio epidemic. Yeah. But then again, maybe that would have scared them enough. But it's kind of uh, that's from a scientist's point of view. It's just being vigilant and just realizing that the natural world doesn't really care about humans or human politics, and nope. you just have to adapt accordingly. Or if you don't, you you won't be here, because. Pretty much, the, they talk about uh, the survival of the fittest is not the strongest; is is the one which can adapt. The most adaptable ones win. That's just how it is. If you can't adapt, you don't win. <laughs> okay. Right. Right. And so, if conditions tell you that you should put on a mask so that you don't get exposed, or so that you don't expose, and it certainly don't mm-hmm. help, well, then 
common sense would say, put a mask on. That is, you know, unless you've got a, unless you've got some kind of instant test that you can do every five seconds, there really mm-hmm. is no way of knowing whether you've been exposed or not because it's airborne. It's airborne and airborne. it's microscopic. You can't see it. Yeah. You don't know whether you're going to run into a strain. You know, you don't know how far along someone may be along. They cough, they leave a virus, and you walk mm-hmm. up on it. Right. It's as easy as that. It's how this virus makes a living. Yeah. But, but actually, one thing, kind of, I'm going to move on to, I guess, um, some of the art and science. Because one thing I was thinking about was George Washington Carver. I guess down in Tuskegee University because he actually has there's actually a museum to him down there. It's really nice. And wow. people sort of think of him as this scientist guy, but he's actually an artist. He was a, um, I think it was the term polymath. He's a guy who had many many talents. He was an yes, he was a scientist. He was a botanist. He was an agricultural mm-hmm. scientist, but he was also an artist. Like, he was a painter. And not only that, he was the kind of guy he actually could make his own paints. Just some of his artwork down there. You can actually see some of the the uh, paintings he made with the pigments. Because he would go out. So do you have artwork? Do you have any artwork that you work? Do you have any work? Do you have any artwork that you're working on right now? Uh, me myself really don't do like his visual arts. You know, kind of play around with written arts every once in a while. I actually got a couple of okay. really rough novels. I need to. I need. They need to go back and be smoothed out. This is like it was sort of written as a challenge. You can you can tell, <laughs> but uh, you go. I need to go back okay. over it, move out the language because um, you know use better verbs and all that. Too many ises and wases and stuff like that. It's like no, nah, it's not how you really convey action. You want to, you know, make it make bring the words. I guess bring the words alive. So I would have to. I would go back right. and rewrite them all. I keep threatening to do that. I haven't done it yet, <laughs> but I need to go back. Are you, are you and, familiar with the Hurston Wright Foundation? With the what? The Hurston, the Hurston Wright Foundation. They have a, um, they have a fund. Um, they have a, they're a foundation, and they help support new writers. And you have a whole many, you have two manuscripts. You have more than most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did have you, them. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, you and I should talk because I, I can pass yeah, on the information to you. That's what, and that's. That's what this is for. This is what I was talking about earlier before we started. And so, folks, just so you know, we, you know, I always talk to guests before coming mm-hmm. on. And one of the things that we've talked about is the fact that we faculty who are in different fields, seemingly widely different fields, need to talk more. Um, I, you know, you know, I've, I've had a chance to talk to some of the engineering professors, but not enough of the science professors, and you're one of them. And so mm-hmm. getting you on this show is very important. Um, and so you have an artistic work, and I would definitely recommend that you come to our Read and Meet on, um, on every Friday, um, mm-hmm. and I definitely would recommend um, that you get in contact with me about the Hurston Wright Foundation. I'm not associated with them, um, but that doesn't mean that I don't know how to get connected with people who are. 
And so uh, that's look at one of the that sounds interesting. Yeah, they have to be yeah. revised. But um, in fact, they've got other ideas, plenty of ideas in my head. It's just a matter of sitting down, putting pen to paper, because I'm still very old-fashioned. I love fountain pens. I have this massive fountain yeah. pen collection of like 20 other things. But to me, it's just something about putting a pen, especially a fountain pen, to a nice, smooth piece of paper. That is just, that's just special. I don't know why. It's just special. <laughs> Well, yeah, it is. It it can it it can be, um, especially if you have a, a you know if you have a brief if you have a, if you have a brief work um, uh, if you have a brief work then it's not it it, it it's not going to be as much of a a burden. The longer it gets though, the more interesting it gets. Um, and my writing begins to look like chicken scratch after a bit, and so mm-hmm. I don't even, I, I don't I don't even try. Um, I. Basically, just kind of I, I rely on the. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, when I when I was when I was coming up, it was um, it was the the, uh, the typewriter, the electric typewriter, um, mm-hmm. that um, that I started off with, and it really wasn't until I hit grad school that I started seeing computers um, that where you could actually have a computer in your home as opposed to just in the office because that's usually where I found computers. Um, Mm -hmm. When I was an undergrad, if I wanted to type something, wherever I happened to be working, that's where I typed it. Um, And so uh, it's a different different time. I mean, this is the the age of digital humanities. That's basically Mm -hmm. how I ended up re-entering the, um, you know, conversations about science and whatnot. Yeah. But it's not, by by no means, not it's not the only one. And I can see how you would be into handwriting um, and penmanship as an artist. There's a beauty in it, of course. And, and of course, there's the, um, um, some, of, some of the other um, traditions, some of the other... Um, cultures, some of the other um, ancient cultures that still specialize in in penmanship. There's a beauty mm-hmm. in that, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Yes, I so, really do love mm-hmm. fountain mm-hmm. pens and, and yeah. ink. And beautiful dark black inks are my favorite. <laughs> but um, well, over the years of working... In and of it, right. That could be art in and of itself. I mean, I can imagine... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, an artwork that is basically penmanship. Um, there's a place for that, I believe. And so that's a that's a that's a that's a that's a conversation you and I should definitely have. Um, oh, sure. And we should definitely continue that in March. So let's come back in March because this thirty minutes was definitely not enough. I don't know, but geez, oh, yeah. I want to, I, I definitely want to do a return. So let's do that in March during Women's History Month. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming and oh, sharing sure. your your talent and sharing your gifts with us. Please do come back, Dr. Steve. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. thank you for having me. It was wonderful. All right. All right. Take care, hon. Bye-bye. You too. And bye, audience, and please come back and listen to our other shows. 
and wait for my next episode with um, Dr. Rosie Sneed. Thank you, and have a great day. Thank you. You too. You too.